G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Now hear my heart on this. I tell you I won't judge you so you don't judge me. Let me tell you where I'm going and hear what I have to say. Hi and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today it's a new message about the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 7. We'll hear about the narrow road and the three different groups of people that try to travel on it. And he says to the first group something very simple. He says, enter through the narrow gate. It's his way of saying you gotta pull the trigger. You've been out on the fringe far too long. You've been on the outside looking in. You like church, you think it's a cool place, but Jesus still is not your saviour. Pull the trigger, enter through the narrow gate. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. According to Jesus, there are three groups of people in this room right now. Three groups. And you fall into one of those three groups. Each group is described by Jesus in his concluding remarks to the greatest sermon ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you want to discover the conclusion to the greatest sermon ever preached and which group you fall into, then you've got to turn over to Matthew 7, verse 13. While you're ready for verse 13, let me kind of illustrate this, uh, at least in preparation of understanding what it is that Jesus is trying to do in these two verses. Have you ever tried to play occupational Cupid? Now, it's about as successful as relational Cupid. You know what that is when you try to hook two people up. What this is, occupational Cupid is when you try to get a friend of yours a job through another friend. Very, let me tell you, by experience, very seldom does it work out okay. A pastor friend of mine did this, called a business owner, said, I got a guy in my church, good guy, honest, respectable, you know, your business is doing well, would you give him a job? He said, sure. Hired him. Six months later, got fired. Pastor friend called him up and said, hey man, what's going on here? He said, well, man, he was a good employee. He really was. He was honest, had great integrity, had a lot of passion, no problem there, was very encouraging. But the problem is it was a sales job and he just couldn't get himself to ask for the sale. He had a hard time closing the deal and actually asking for an order. And that doesn't work very well when your job is sales. So I had to let him go. Now, here's the thing with Matthew 7, 13. Jesus wants to go past just dispensing good information about the way you should live your life. How to deal with anger, retaliation, loving God, loving people, serving the world type stuff. Now he comes to the concluding part of the message. This is where he's going to stand up and ask for the order. He's going to confront you. You're going to have to close the deal now. All the other stuff's over. You got to decide. And so now he moves into this arena where he wants all of his listeners to have a life-defining moment where they'll be able to look back some point in their lives in the future and say, that's the day right there. 
That's the day. And here's what he says. Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. All right. What does Jesus mean? All right. Look up. Why does Pastor Jeff sometimes gives us these Greek words? We don't care about Greek. We just want to know English. Now, let me tell you why I do that. It's not to impress you with my overwhelming understanding of the Greek language. It's because the original Bible was written in Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek and Aramaic in the New Testament. If you ever wondered why it is we go to Bible college and seminary, what it is that we're doing? We don't sit around and pray all day. We actually study Greek as part of our learning to try to understand the original text. So then if we can understand what Jesus originally meant, then we'll be able to contextualize it so that we can see what he meant today. We got to do that with this passage because he says, enter through the narrow gate. There are two words in the Greek language for gate, believe it or not. One is pule, the other is pulan. Pulan is a wide gate. It's broad. It's kind of like a foyer or a vestibule if you grew up in an old-timey church. That section outside that leads to the bigger entranceway. But the Greek word Jesus uses is pule, not pulan. It's the small gate. It's the narrow gate. It's the kind of gate that you can only come in one by one. Can't bring anything with you if you try to bring luggage can't bring anybody else with you. It's a little gate. The best contemporary example we have of the poule is this, the turnstile. Where you go into athletic competition games, where you go into government offices sometimes, where you're trying to cross borders. This makes sure that you go in one by one and they can watch you very carefully. That's the kind of gate. But then he says enter. Two words for enter. You've got acer komai, and then you've got sunesarekomai. Acerekomai means that you enter by yourself. Sunesarekomai means that you enter as a group. So put these two things together. Here's what we learned right off the get-go. In his conclusion, he says, look, you've got to enter through the narrow gate, which means you've got to enter alone. You can't come in as a group. You say, well, what, what? that doesn't affect, if, impact me. Well, first century, that was a big thing because Jesus' audience would have said, wait a minute, we're Abraham's our father, man. We're a Hebrew nation. We come in together. Jesus says, I don't care who your father is. You're not coming in with anybody else. You make the decision alone. If you contemporize that, it's kind of like saying, well, Billy Graham's my dad, or my dad was a preacher, or my parents went to church, my grandmother, she memorized the Bible, frontwards and backwards. Jesus says, big deal. I don't care if Mother Teresa is your mother, which, which would be hard, or Billy Graham is your father. It doesn't matter. You come in alone. Second, it means that you're going to enter on purpose. It's imperative. He doesn't say you can enter if you want to. He gives a direct command. He says, enter, go into, you choose. It's imperative. Nobody else can choose for you. And it's intentional. There's got to be a time in your life where you see the narrow gate and you gear down and you start aiming. You target the narrow gate and you walk through it. And third, and this is where the most difficult part is and where we encounter the first group that Jesus was addressing in the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. He said, enter through a single gate. It's singular, not plural. Only one way in, only one way out, only one gate. That brings us to the first group of people. Listen carefully. Now hear my heart on this, okay? I tell you I won't judge you so you don't judge me. Let me tell you where I'm going and hear what I have to say. There are you in this group, they come in here every weekend, man. You like church, gives you kind of a spiritual kick, a buzz, makes you feel good. You come in here because it's going to help you face whatever it is you have to face in your life that week. You kind of want to get God on your side. You like the music? The whole thing about Jesus and all of his teaching kind of encourages you. And you think, man, that's what I want in my life. You may even like the guy who stands up front every week. And said, so, you know, this guy has a funny accent, a receding hairline, and severely overestimates his golf game, but I like him. 
And you may like everything about this place, the stage, the lights. There's even a little bit of nostalgia going on because it reminds you of when you brought your children to church. Sorry, when your parents brought you to church and now you're coming, bringing your children. They go over to the Sunday school children's ministry area and they're learning about good and evil, right and wrong, so they can grow up to be good little boys and girls. You like all that. But to you, if you're honest with yourself in group one, your Jesus is like this Jesus, the waiter we've been talking about. You don't really want him around in your life until you really need something or you're in a bad way. And then you call him over and you say, Jesus, take my order. And he takes your order and you say, go get that for me. And then you tell him to stand over there in the corner. You don't really want anything to do with him because you want to get on with your life unless he's willing to give you what you want. And after he gives you what you want, you send him back to the corner so you can get on with your life. And if you're honest, he might be the surfer, Jesus. He's just like a dude you hang out with there's really no authority figure in this relationship. No, you just go surfing, with, hanging out with Christ, chilling with the Messiah. That's what you think about when you think about Jesus. There's no authority. He doesn't tell you what to do. It's just he's your buddy. He's your pal. Or one we haven't used is like a life coach like Tony Robbins. He's just this cosmic force that helps you learn how to achieve all of your goals and objectives. And all that's well and good, but the people in the first group, they don't like this next statement. They don't like it when Pastor Jeff stands up and says, you know what? Without Jesus, you're lost in your sins and you're going to a Christless eternity. You're separated from God in a place called hell where no good thing exists. Now that's when you say, wait, well, I like Pastor Jeff that's inclusive. I like it when he says that God loves us all. Come on in. He accepts you as you are. And all that's true. But it's equally true that without Christ, you're lost in your sins, you're going to a Christless eternity, you're separated from God in a place called hell where no good thing exists. You like church, you like the message, but you just can't, that right there just hits you the wrong way because we're in America, that's not American. It's exclusive. America is, Jesus, or, uh, inclusive rather, but Jesus is exclusive. And he says to the first group something very simple. He says, enter through the narrow gate. It's his way of saying, you gotta pull the trigger. You've been out on the fringe far too long. You've been on the outside looking in. You like church, you think it's a cool place, but Jesus still is not your savior. Pull the trigger, enter through the narrow gate. He's saying, if you wanna join the kingdom, if you wanna be made right with God, if you wanna wind up in heaven, if you want your life to end well, there's only one way, there's only one gate. Jesus constantly addresses group one in everything he says. In John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 10, he says, I am the door. Notice, singularity, only one door, the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He's saying, if you want to go in to meet the great shepherd, the one who loves your soul, the nourisher of your soul, who will care for you and love you, the only way you're going to get to that guy, the only way you're going to get to the great shepherd is through me. I am the gate. I am the door. Folks, those aren't vague sayings. They're pretty much crystal clear. And people wanted to kill him because of it. And still today, people want to silence Jesus and the Christians. This is Today with Jeff Vines. The message is about three different types of people who attempt to travel on the narrow road. Some see Jesus as their friend, their buddy in tough times, but aren't willing to do what is necessary to truly follow Him. Let's continue with Pastor Jeff. Halfway through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also said this, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill the law. Now, what did He mean? Now stay with me here, you know, hear my heart again. Listen, 
It's a narrow way. It's a narrow gate. But why is it? Why does Jesus claim exclusivity? That's so offensive in today's American culture. And the American Jesus would never be exclusive. But why? Well, it's the whole thing about Jesus fulfilling the old law. What is the old law? The old law is the whole sacrificial system. Where, man, when you sinned, you had to come and bring an animal and then slice its throat. And the blood would be poured out under the altar. Now, why would a loving, good God give us some kind of imagery like that? Well, it was supposed to be a graphic illustration, a vivid reminder that even though you think your sin's not that serious and you think it's not that big a deal, every time you had an animal give its life, it reminded you that before a holy God, man, sin is a serious matter. It destroys you. It destroys families. It destroys communities. It destroys his world, all of which were made by a loving, good God. And God says, when this happens, I want to tell you I'm offended. See, God just can't turn a blind eye and say, oh, you sinned, that's okay. He's holy. He must separate himself from all known sin. Somebody's got to pay. In order for us to have relationship with God, in order for that which is impure to have relationship with purity, something's got to happen. And that's where Jesus says, that's why I'm the only way. I'm your dream. Because instead of you having to go to the temple and offer yourself or offer an animal, I went to the cross willingly. And I became the sacrificial lamb once and for all. It's done. You don't have to see that anymore. And every time you look at a cross, every time you see its gruesomeness, how gross it is in the blood of Jesus, it's supposed to be a graphic reminder of the depth of your sin, but also of the depth of God's love and what he's willing to do on your behalf. That's why Jesus says, I'm the only one. I'm the only way because I'm the only one that laid my life down for you so that the requirements of God's holiness might be met. In essence, here's what Jesus says during his entire ministry and why he says you have to enter through the narrow gate. He says, this is you. You know I'm not an artist. That's the best I can do. I know it doesn't look like some of you. Actually, some of you it might, but most of you it doesn't. Over on the other side, you've got God. And there is a gap between you and God. There cannot be relationship because of the gap. And the gap is sin. All of us do it, right? Past, presently, and in the future. It's pretty much guaranteed. It's empirically verifiable. You will sin. And so this sin separates us from God. The only way that we can go over to God's side and the gap can be bridged is through the cross of Jesus. That is his message. And he says, because that's true, because God has deemed that the only way you can have relationship is that your sins are forgiven and I'm the only one that provided a way whereby you could be forgiven. Therefore, I am the narrow way. I am the door. And here's what I'm asking you to do. I had a basketball coach, Eddie Carver, about six feet eight, about 250. Huge guy. He loved to get me in the locker room in my high school years and take his middle finger and point it into my sternum and just, that hurts. If you've got a strong finger and you just do that, and he'd say, vines, you stink. Now, it's his way of trying to motivate me. Now, I, I, I told him about 30 years later, it, it, it didn't work. 20 years later, it, it doesn't work. I actually just got mad at you and wanted to kill you. But he said, well, I made you mad and you went out and played harder. But that's what he would do. We got a new coach. Coach came in. He said, we're going to change things. We're going to go beyond just winning the district. We're going to win the state title, but we're going to have to do some things differently. Here's the first thing. I want, I want you to raise your hand if you're willing to meet me in the weight room every morning before school at 6 a.m. How many high school students who treasure and adore sleep do you think raise their hands? Nobody. And then Coach Eddie Carver stood up, looked me right in the eyes, the captain of the team, and said, Vines, you stink. You're pathetic. You say you want to be the best. You say you want to be a great player, yet you're not willing to step across the line. We tell you this is what it's going to take to get you in, and yet you, for, you refuse to pull the trigger, refuse to sacrifice, refuse to get it done. 
I feel like this is what Jesus is doing in Matthew. He said, okay, I've told you everything you need to hear. It's all out there. You know who I am. The time comes, you gotta pull the trigger. You gotta step across the line. You say you want salvation? It's what I want for you, but you won't pull the trigger. Let me tell you, you've been in this church for 18 months. You're not gonna hear anything different than what I've already said about your sin, separation to God, and how you're gonna get to heaven. Not gonna change. It will be colored a little differently. It will be presented in different packages, but it's always gonna be the same. My call to you today is to step through the narrow gate, to walk through the turnstile and say, I'm going to go through the narrow way, to pull the trigger, to get it done, because according to Jesus, in his conclusion of the greatest sermon ever preached, your eternity depends on it. What you decide matters. And people like Michael Jackson and Farrah Fawcett are very much aware of that right now. That's not a judgment on their life. I'm not making a judgment. I'm just saying. The Bible says it is appointed once for man or woman to die and then to face the judgment. What is the judgment? What you did with Jesus. That's the same for every one of you. Now, there's a second group of people. The second group, you love Jesus. Got no problem with him being your only access to the great shepherd of your soul. You understand the cross and the atonement and the depth of a loving God and how deep his love really is. Now stay with me. Hear my heart on this. No judgment, okay? But somewhere along the line, you got off the narrow road. Here's what happened. You looked through the narrow gate. That was appealing. Salvation. But you saw on the other way, on the other side through the narrow gate is a narrow road. And you didn't want to be restricted or constricted. You wanted to live life the way you wanted to. And somewhere along the line, even though you went ahead and went through the narrow gate because you wanted salvation... You saw that narrow road and you got off of it. It might have been when you went to college, when you had children, mothers, when you found a boyfriend, when you got a new job, maybe when you retired, but now you have a new set of priorities, you have things you want to do, you shoved God off to the side, you got back on the broad way, and death is the word that best describes your life. Now, let me ask you something. What is the narrow gate anyway? He says, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, this Greek word is interesting. I'm so, I, I promise, this is the last Greek word lesson. It's the Greek word stenos. It means to strive or to groan. It requires great effort. It's astounding how it's used. Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians 9. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And here, stenos is translated strict. In other words, your training is narrowed. You, the events in your life, the places you go, what you do, what you think about is narrowed now. Your diet is narrowed. If you're an Olympian, there's no more yum-yum donuts, right? If you're an Olympian, you don't stay out late, late at night. You're up early, you're training. There is a narrowing. There is a reducing of activity, of diet. He says they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And then he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy, fight. Here's this word narrow again, stenos, groan. Stretch, strain, the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is where somebody says, hold on a minute, Jeff. Not too long ago, you had a big column over here and a big column over there. And that one said do, and that one said done. You told me everything that needed to be done for my salvation had been done on the cross. And all I had to do is walk through the gate and I'm saved. That's still true. It is. But here's what Jesus wants you to know. When you walk through that gate, that's the easy part. You're saved. That can't be messed with. But on the other side is a narrow road that is going to be hard. Just know what you're signing up for. It, it's like when we lived in uh, Africa in Zimbabwe. Robin, 
my wife kept saying, you know, I want to go over to Mauritius and do some snorkeling. So she had a friend that got us a bungalow. Now this was BC before children. And we went over to Mauritius. We had a good time in the bungalow. We went out snorkeling. Robin is an excellent swimmer. I am not an excellent swimmer. And so we went out, got in the boat. He took us out to the reef in the Indian Ocean. Beautiful place to snorkel. Well, I'm kind of snorkeling about my business and I raise my head out of the water and notice I'm a long way from the boat. And poor swimmers at that point panic, which is what you should not do. And I start swimming as fast as I can. The problem is I raise my head up. I've made no progress because the wind and the waves are coming at me. I'm swimming against the current. I panic. I do what any brave man would do then. Help, please, I'm dying. And then you know what I did next, right? It's between life or death. I stood up on the coral. You don't want to do that in your bare feet. Just let me tell you right now, if you're ever tempted to do that, don't do it again. Here's the deal. Jesus is trying to say that the narrow gate, that's the easy part. The narrow road, man, it's like swimming against the current. It's like going upstream. It's against the grain of life. Some people are going to see it and they're going to say, that's not for me. It's tough. It's difficult. It requires stretching, straining the narrowing of my life. It requires allowing the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is what you don't want to hear in group two. It requires allowing the Holy Spirit to govern what I read, what I watch, where I go, what I do. I told you, my dream is revival for Christ Church of the Valley. When people are coming forward and being healed, when people are being freed from addictions, when you're a light in this world and anybody who has a need finds their way into this place, and we're the light of Jesus to the world. But let me tell you, revival never happens until we get back on the narrow road. Doesn't happen that way in your life either. You wonder why you don't feel the presence of God? You're on the broad way, man. You only feel God. You only have a sense of his presence and activity in your life when you're walking the narrow road. Jesus says, you gotta be willing to restructure your life knowing that you can't make it on your own, that the enemy is too powerful. So you, listen, is this narrow road walking? You start every day with Bible study, prayer, and reflection, and renewing your mind that you might be able to test and approve what is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God, Romans 12, 2. Let me go back to this. Narrow road walking. The whole sermon series could have been summarized in about 10 minutes. You say, well, Jeff, if that's true, why didn't you do that? We could have sung a lot more music. <laughs> this is the center. Paul says, I put everything behind me and I reach toward the mark, the bullseye. This is total Christ-likeness. My problem is, our problem is, that when I hear young people, middle-aged and even older people talking today about their relationship with Christ and purity and holiness and sanctification, their big question is not what, I, what do I have to do to stretch and to strain and to groan and to narrow my life to conform to the image of Christ. Their issue is this, how far away can I live from the center, do what I want to do, go where I want to go, read what I want to read, watch what I want to watch, and still be considered a Christian? That's why there's no revival in the American church. That's why we don't have an overwhelming sense of the presence of God involved in everything that we think, we do, we say. That brings the second question. Why then, Jeff, if I have to narrow my life, should I be impressed with the narrow road and live on that road. Because Jesus said, narrow is the gate and difficult the way that leads what? Because it is the way to life. Thank you for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. 
Are we still on the narrow path after entering through the narrow gate? Or have we bypassed the gate altogether, not wanting to commit to what Jesus asks? Join us next time to hear more about the narrow road. And then suddenly you wake up and you realise all this time on the broad road, you thought you were going to find life. You've been dead man walking. You're on the road to ruin. And some people get so far down that road, they can't find their way back. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 